Chapter 3, Artist Loft. I wanted to go to my happy space, that place where I could paint, create, and just chill out from the car crash at the gallery. I was looking forward to hitting my reset button and getting some painting in. I pulled my shitbox of a car into the dirt parking lot of the Water Street Artist Lofts and killed the ignition. The car sputtered for another 10 seconds, trying to decide if it wanted to remain motionless. The place used to be a shoe factory at the turn of the century. Surrounded by woods, it was the perfect spot for kids to chuck rocks through the hundreds of little windows. The entire west side wall had a definite lean to it, as if it misplaced its old folks walker. I used my key and obsessively flicked chips of paint from the front door. The lock was so bad, you could probably use a screwdriver for a key. I let myself in and walked past a big pile of trash bags that had grown since the last time I was here. Ritver's Berzins, the Latvian building owner and superintendent, was supposed to be taking the stuff away every week. I've never seen the guy on his own property, so eventually a group of us would do a dumpster run on our own. Imagine coming across a peasant pushing a cart through the streets of wartime Stalingrad. That's Ritver's. There were about a dozen artist spaces on the second floor, laid out like horse stalls. Hanging overhead was a drive shaft that had powered the pulley system of the Victorian-era machines. I was sure somebody had lost a finger here back in the day. My spot was the fourth one down on the left. The floor creaked under every step as I approached the padlock and popped it open. The door swung open in a wide arc, knocking over an empty coffee can filled with brushes, sprinkling them all over the floor. At least I didn't have them soaking in turpentine. Leaning against the plywood walls around the room were three paintings I had already started. The last time I was here, I worked on one called Schoenberg's Study at Twilight. I was going through a post-impressionistic phase along the lines of Van Gogh. I called up my musical style. It involved a series of vertical brush strokes applied to the canvas at regular intervals. I thought I could get this one done in another four hours. I put on my apron plopped my butt down on my stool, twisted off the cap from a tube of Winsor & Newton Van Dyke Brown, swirled my number six filbert brush in my can of turpentine, and then tapped it against the leg of the easel. I was ready to go. So when did the fire trucks leave? James' voice came over the wall from the next space. He'd rented the space next to mine for a few years now. I said, ah, Jesus, it took him an hour just to reset the alarm. I put down my brush and went over to his side. I guess Brent had a burning desire to win a ribbon that night. I rolled my eyes. Oh yeah, he was wonderful. I grabbed a plastic milk crate and sat down. James was working on yet another collage thingy. A bunch of cutout photographs of naked women lounging around within a surreal-looking desert scene. When are you going to reschedule the show? Yeah, I don't know. I need to suck up all that water and dry everything out. It's going to be tomorrow's job. Leslie's head appeared at the door. She'd been here just as long as James. Nice show, she said sarcastically. I knew I would have to deal with all the blowback from everyone. I just sat there and took my lumps. I said, great. Did your piece survive the deluge? It's been glazed and fired. It's fine. In fact, you could have made a pot of tea inside it, which it seems someone attempted to do. I still needed to kill Jerry for what he did to her. I went for the deflection. I asked her. What are you working on next? I'm putting together a collection of found art objects. Let me know if you ever find some clients. I've got a cable bill that's past due. Why? How many paintings have you sold this month? Not enough. It's almost like I need to see their living room before I can start. The colors don't match. 
What can I tell you? It's not like we're selling furniture. There you go. James added a few brushstrokes to his work. Change the gallery to a furniture store. Free paintings with every couch. All sizes. All colors. See you guys later. Leslie said as her head disappeared behind the door. It's not like the old days. James said as he dabbed a few more strokes on his canvas. Back then you could find a king or a church to pay for all your work. Yeah, but how many times can you rework The Last Supper? At least you got a nice horse and a place to work in. Oh yeah, so you're talking about a medieval corporate job then, I said with a grin. James frowned and focused in on a detail with his brush. We've all heard his, the world has sold out rant a million times before, and I couldn't help myself by pointing out his little unintentional hypocrisy. I was studying the interesting pattern of paint spills on the floor when I heard a strange warbling sound coming from somewhere inside the building. James lowered his brush. What the hell is that? It's a didgeridoo, one of those long skinny tubes you blow into, from Australia. We both got up and followed the sound to an open door across the hall. This loft was filled with stacks of driftwood and some carved wooden figures of kangaroos and lizards. The didgeridoo player was sitting on a handmade bench, the instrument pointing towards the middle of the room. I could feel the vibrations of it in my chest. He stopped and looked up at us. Hey, we're your neighbors. Cool. He got up and shook James' hand. It's Steve. I leaned over and shook his hand too and said, Gavin, it's a didgeridoo, right? Yeah, I bought it the last time I was in Australia. I like carving Australian folk art, and this was something that I wanted to try. Am I bugging you guys? Not at all. I like the sound of it. It'll be soothing to work to. I asked Steve, when did you get this space? I paid Ritvars on the first of this month. Is he Russian? Latvian. One country over. James knelt down and studied the didgeridoo up close. So, how do you play this thing? Well, like this. Steve sat down and produced a long, throaty warble that he held for almost a minute straight. He showed us the nuances of playing the instrument, then went over how much he enjoys carving the aboriginal style of sculpture. We hung out for a while, talking about art stuff in general. Steve started carving a new piece out of driftwood, so we left him alone and headed back to our stalls. As we headed back to our spaces, four young guys in their early 20s appeared from the stairway. They were laughing their asses off and bouncing off of each other. I've never seen them before. We didn't acknowledge each other as they passed in front of my stall. One of them, a guy with brown hair down to his waist, was carrying a ripped paper bag. He body-checked the guy next to him, and a can of Narragansett beer tumbled out and bounced off the floor in front of him. He kicked the can down the hall, ricocheting it off a support post. I closed my door, sat down, and listened. I could hear them goofing around all the way down the hall. What the hell were they doing there? I knew somebody had stolen some rolls of copper wire about a month ago, but why would somebody come here in the middle of the day to commit a robbery? I hoped they would continue on, go down the other set of stairs, and exit the building. Nope. An electric guitar went off at concert-level volume. My ears flinched as the sound pinned me in place. Where the hell was that coming from? The guitarist did another tearing lick. Then the bass and drums kicked in. I knew that song. It was Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The guy wasn't too bad. I liked the song when it came out in the early 90s. I met James already out in the hall, covering his ears with his hands. What the fuck? I screamed back. I know! A small group of artists formed in the hallway. I followed James as we headed towards the music. It was coming from the last stall at the end. 
James kicked the door twice with full force. The plywood door barely held onto its hinges with each slam of his foot. The music stopped, and another round of laughs circulated from behind the wall. The door opened. It was a long-haired guy with his buddies, surrounded by their instruments and amplifiers. They all had smug smiles on their faces. The guy even looked like Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer of the Chili Peppers. He saw James with a classic pissed-off old guy face. Hey, dude. What's up? James crossed his arms. What the hell are you guys doing here? Hey, man. We're practicing. You want a beer? No. Who let you in here? Huh? Oh, yeah. We paid that Russian dude. Rivers? James's mouth literally dropped open. Ritfers rented you the space? Yeah, we saw the ad. Artists lost for rent. James was getting more agitated by the second. But you guys aren't artists. We're a Pepper's tribute band called Under the Bridge. We're artists. We're musicians. No, you're not. You're just making noise. It's shit. The singer took another slug of beer. Hey, we paid for this space, old man. He spread out his arms like he was talking to a massive crowd. We can do what we want. He then let go of his beer can, and it hit the floor like a rapper dropping a mic. The guys behind him snickered some more. The singer started rummaging through his ripped bag of beers for another can. James tried the reasonable approach. Look, why don't you just come here at night when you won't be bothering anyone? So it's all about our music, huh? The singer stepped up to his mic and cracked open his beer, then hung his arm over the mic stand and struck a pose. What's wrong with our music? It sucks. So what would you like to hear, Neil Young? James just stared at them. The singer started to do the song, Old Man, in a nasally parody of Neil Young's voice. The rest of the band took their cue and started playing along. Big laughs broke out as they enjoyed their musical taunt. I could almost see James's blood pressure shoot up to 240. He did a military snap and turn and went down the stairs. I followed him. I said, hey, where are you going? I'm calling Ritvers. This is complete bullshit. We made it out to the parking lot. James dialed the number and put it on speakerphone. The phone rang once and Ritvers picked up. Hello. James paced in a tight circle. I was sure foam would come out of his mouth any second. Ritvers, why did you allow noisy asshole musicians to practice in our space? Who is this? It's James. We can't even think in there. What are you talking about? You let rock musicians in there. They pay money. They get space. But they're not artists. Many empty rooms. I pay lease. James stopped pacing. You can't fucking do that. A series of heated Latvian exclamations jumped out of the phone speaker. I'd guess even sailors from the Baltic Ocean would have been offended by his diatribe towards James. Ritvers eventually came back to English. You don't tell me what to do with my business. He shouted a final Stulbiness. And then hung up. We looked at each other. Now what? We could still hear the band playing from inside the building. Well, I'm not getting anything done here today, James said as he put his phone away. I'm going to close up shop. Now I'm right behind you, I said as we both headed back inside. 